You're listening to the audio-only version of the Moe Gamer podcast. Don't forget you can watch a video version of this episode over on YouTube. Check moegamer.net for a link to the channel. And now, on with the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison and I'm joined as usual by my good friend Chris Kasky. How are you doing Chris? Oh, I'm doing well Pete, how are you today? Yeah, not too bad. And a bit of a lie-in this morning, so lazy weekend, much needed. And um, I've got a cat sitting next to me right now who is having an equally lazy weekend, although she has a lazy every day, so, you know, it's a good life, really. How is the new cat <laughs> adapting? Uh, lots of biting still, uh, <laughs> lots of scratching. She's uh, developed the art form of, of, of tapping me, not my wife, just me, in the face, uh, usually on the eye or the lip at about four o'clock in the morning every day. Oh, it's breakfast um, time. <laughs> so I, I don't know where she has picked this habit up from or why or how, but it's difficult not to respond to it. So, you know, it's difficult not to reinforce that. So yeah. generally speaking, I have to get up at four o'clock and uh, just shut her out of the bedroom for a couple of hours so I can finish my sleep. <laughs> but uh, she she's at least getting on slightly better with the... Uh, uh, with the existing cat Meg uh, now, they're, they're still fighting a bit, and they still don't like people. Yeah, they still don't like each other going into their personal space, but um, they they can tolerate being in the same room as each other now, which is nice. That's good. So they'll get there in the end. Oh, cat politics! Indeed, indeed, yeah, ever complex and mysterious place. Anyway, so um, today we're going to be following our usual three-part segment um the first segment will be the news but there hasn't been an awful lot of that recently so that will probably be a fairly short conversation um second part will be what we've been playing recently uh which again chris i know you've been very busy so it might just be me talking in that one again um uh, but then our third segment is one we've both been looking forward to for a while we're going to be talking about um sort of uh, specific kinds of distinctive art styles and ways of presenting games and so on so uh looking forward to that so let's kick off with what little news there is so what has uh, caught your eye recently that you'd like to talk about uh, well, uh, I know we've been talking quite a bit about those new um, Compile Heart games from the Galapagos RPG label. Um, yes. Ark of Alchemist, um, you had had a really good time with Death End Request, and we were also looking forward to Dragon Star Varnir. Uh, yes. Ark of Alchemist was the one I was most looking forward to. Uh, and, of course, it has been delayed <laughs> from summer to winter and uh, won't be a problem for you, but sucks for me. For some reason, no physical copy in the U.S., but a physical copy in PAL territories. Yeah, that's a strange decision. I don't know what's behind that, but, um, yeah, well, at, at least with it, um, with modern consoles being region-free, you can import without oh, yeah. difficulty. So, and, like, imports from the States to Europe or vice versa aren't aren't too expensive it's japanese imports that can get a bit expensive in my experience so no, quite a um, few so people on ebay do free shipping even from the uk like i have a couple oh, that's good i have a couple pal games for my ps4 like the like uh bloodborne right the complete yeah. edition of bloodborne never got a physical release in the west but oh, i got really? it i got it for like 30 bucks from a guy on ebay in the uk who shipped it for oh, free that's pretty sweet so. That's pretty sweet. There, yeah. Equally over here, I know there's there's quite a few Amazon marketplace sellers um, who just list stuff on Amazon that is from the states, and uh, again they'll do they'll even do things like Prime shipping and stuff with that. So 
um yeah you can you can you can generally find ways around it so hopefully you'll be able to get your hands on a copy of that i'm actually not i'm actually not too upset about it being delayed because there is so much cool stuff coming out in like the next two months oh yeah yeah for sure Um, i'm more upset about the no physical in the west thing yeah delayed video games don't bother me at all at this point in my life because i have shrink wrapped games on my shelf right now yeah oh i I have an embarrassing number of shrink wrapped games on my shelf i I even have at least two shrink wrapped ps2 games (laughs) that's brutal i still have a shrink wrapped gamecube game yeah oh well it is the life we lead (laughs) it's okay i wouldn't trade it for anything no absolutely Okay, uh, so what else have we got on the list? Uh, Devil May Cry is coming to Switch, um, which was a bit of a surprise announcement. Yeah, like the original. (laughs) Yes. Yes, the original Devil May Cry, and it's going to be digital only from the sound of things. Um, but this this apparently followed um, some online discussion about whether or not Dante was going to be in Smash Brothers. And oh, I shit. Who, I can't remember who it was from Capcom said, well, if they want to put Dante in Smash Brothers, they better put Devil May Cry on a Nintendo platform first. And then mysteriously, Devil May Cry was on a Nintendo platform. Hmm. Thank you, huh. Emoji. That would be really, that'd be really cool. Although, like, I'm a little, I love Smash, and I'm, but I'm a little like, I want some cute, some more cute characters. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely. getting a little disappointed by like the that's like Cloud and Bayonetta and Joker. Like, it's all these like normal human proportion. Yeah. Like, if, if I yeah. want to play a fighting game with like all these normal human proportion characters, I'll play a normal fighting like. I really want like some other weird license. Like I want Jibanyan from the Yokai Watch series. Like, yeah. like someone yeah. cute and dumpy who's like mechanics. Because like, all right, we've already got Bayonetta, Cloud, mm-hmm. all the Fire Emblem guys, uh, Joker. Like, they, okay, guns and swords again. Like, how mechanically radically different is yeah exactly. Dante going to be from Joker? Right, jo- he transforms into Devil Trigger. He's got his guns and he's got his blade weapon. He's gonna like how how different can he be from Joker? Yeah, exactly, so- exactly. I I mean, hope- hopefully they have their head screwed on right and will will provide some weird characters. I, I mean, we've we've already had Piranha Plant, which was a good start. Yes, super so. Weird. Um, yeah, I, I know Dante's been very highly requested, though, so they're probably feeling a fair amount of pressure to put him in there. Yeah. Just to clarify, they haven't said he's going to be in Super Smash Brothers at this point, but... Uh, I'm not saying was, it that would was... suck. No, no, no. It's just no, that no, I want I'm some sorry. other more creative stuff. Yes, definitely. Um, but yes, that was that was the context in which I, I saw this announcement uh, when it first came up, and it was uh, it just struck me as quite interesting. So It's fun to speculate. Hey. Yes, definitely. It is fun to speculate uh, and then uh, enjoy being wrong and having people pointing and laughing at you. Yeah. (laughs) That's the way it happens. All right. uh, What else have we got? Um, Fans of shoot-em-ups, there are two... How do you pronounce it? Psycho. Yeah, sounds um, right. Bundles. (laughs) That'll do. Uh, there, there are two physical editions of Psycho shooters uh, available via PlayAsia now. Um... The Japanese releases, so they're, so they're imports. Um, the thir- oh, there is the third one on the way as well. Yeah, so there's, mm-hmm. there's, t- there's two available at the moment. Um, no, sorry, I got that wrong. There is one available on July the 25th, second available on August the 29th, and Volume 3 hasn't been fully announced yet from the look of things. So Volume 1 contains Strikers 1945, Strikers 1945-2, Strikers 1999, and Soul Divide, and Dragon Blaze, and Zero Gunner 2. Mm-hmm. I just kept, just kept scrolling, and that, that list just kept going. Um, 
Uh, and then part two, uh, volume two, contains Sengoku Ace, Sengoku Blade, Sengoku Cannon, Gunbird, Gunbird 2, and Gunbarich. Um, so yeah, it's a, a really nice selection of games there, many of which have had standalone digital releases on uh, eShop so far for Switch. Um, but it's really cool to see them getting um, a, an actual physical collection because the, these, are, these are the sort of games that people want to collect. Um, and they're great games as well, in, in my experience. My experience with Psycho is relatively limited, but um, yeah, my, my limited experience with them has always been pretty consistently positive, so... Yeah, I'm very movie. fond of Gunbird specifically. Mm. Yes, I have the I think the PS2 version of that um, on my shelf somewhere. I haven't actually tried it yet, but uh, yeah, I do have that one. Yeah, that, great one's, that one's been released on a on a few platforms lately. I think that's that's already uh, that's one of the ones you can get as a download on Switch at the minute, along with uh, Gunbarrack, I think. Mm. So yeah, those are on the way, um, starting from July. Uh, what else have we got? Um, Experiences new uh, dungeon crawler, which we talked a bit about last time, I think, called Azure Wing Chevalier. Uh, it's actually a remake of a game called Students of the Round, uh, which in turn was the spiritual predecessor to Demon Gaze. Um, so, through a slightly convoluted process, we've got a new game that is a remake of an old game that was a prequel to a game that's already out or something like that. <laughs> Uh, basically, it unfolds in the same world as Demon Gaze, but doesn't have anything directly to do with it, um, is, is what I can make out from it. Um, it also says um, on the Silicon Era report that the game will include uh, Stranger of Sword City Revisited as part of the bundle. Yes, because it also takes place in the same world as that. Apparently, oh, like, okay. Stra like Stranger of Sword City is like... The f like the decimated far future of like ah. when all the demon gate like all the cute demon gaze stuff happens. <laughs> so like, it's all related somehow. Yeah, oh, fair enough. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that is due out in Japan on July the eleventh uh, as a digital game and as a physical version on July twenty fifth. No word on a Western release yet. Um, it is going to be Experience's last PlayStation Vita game. Um, so they are sort of going right up until the last minute with those physical yeah. versions. They're making um, a big deal of it, right? Because like, Experience was yeah. such an avid supporter of the Vita. So it's yeah, really it's definitely. really cool that they're making a huge deal out of, like, this is our last big hurrah, we're going to do it right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll, I'll be surprised if we see it on Vita over here, but we are getting a lot of Vita games being ported to Switch. Yeah. And on that subject, um, Compile Heart and Idea Factory have announced that the Switch version of Mary Skelter 2 is coming west, uh, but only as a digital version, sadly. Um, so that will include both, the, like the, the, the existing PlayStation 4 release, that will include both Mary Skelter 2 and the um, the first game, Mary Skelter Nightmares as well. So you'll have both games in one place, which will be nice. Um, yeah, so there, there are no plans to localise the PlayStation 4 version from the sound of things, which has led lots of people to speculate that uh, this is probably down to Sony being whatever they're being at the minute. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, we are at least getting this, which is cool. Um, and having it on Switch will be nice as well, because it's, it's, it's nice to have dungeon crawlers on handheld platforms. So mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, cool. 
All right. Uh, what else has caught your eye lately? Monster Hunter. Uh, so like, I, ah, yes. Yeah. So Monster Hunter World has got its. Uh, I mean, the game has had a steady trickle, like little DLC and updates, but now we have officially announced for Monster Hunter World uh, the new big expansion, which is going to be called Iceborne. Um, the big news from that is uh, for big Monster Hunter fans, Nargakuga is coming back, which is like a fan, a big fan favorite monster. Mm-hmm. Um, which is very exciting because the Nargakuga is a really cool monster. And most importantly, uh, Nargakuga armor that you build from it is ninja themed. So, so it's really mm-hmm. always one of the ne- neatest looking sets. So it'll be really cool to see the Nargakuga set in HD. Yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. Very much looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And I- it means we're marching inexorably closer to a Monster Hunter World Complete Edition in another couple of years. <laughs> and then I can finally play it. Hooray! Yes, that'll be good. Um, this announcement, I feel like we've already had it. Or, or am I imagining it? Because I'm sure I knew all this already. I didn't know it until the PlayStation event this week. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I definitely knew the expansion was coming, and I'm sure, I'm sure I recognized the name Naga Cougar as well. So maybe it was just speculation back then, and it's just been confirmed now. Oh, but, could uh, be. Yeah, I mean, I, he, I, he's I, definitely the most like fan demanded monster. Right. Yeah. Like, that it, might have been it, it then. like whenever a new Monster Hunter is even announced, it's like, is Naga Cougar going to be in it? Like people, <laughs> people, people love this fucker. I do too. He's really cool. Yeah. So yeah, um, when is that due out? Did they say? Uh, uh, September 6th uh, is coming to consoles. Oh, okay. And the PC version is following later in the winter for some reason. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, so uh, PC version is get, getting updated later. Uh, but that's been the pattern for the whole game so far. Which is uh, a thing, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Um, We've got a story here about Platinum's secret project. This was actually the first I'd heard of it. So do you want to talk a bit about this? Yeah, so there was recently an, uh, a pretty extensive interview uh, with Inaba over at Platinum, at, published by Video Games Chronicle, um, where they kind of talk about their, a lot of their plans for the future. And uh, it's worth a good read because it goes through some of kind of the difficulties they've faced. There's a little bit of snippets in there about kind of scale bound and uh inaba was actually specifically upset with how angry people were with microsoft because he basically says mm-hmm. it, it, it was a 50 50 thing it was our fault just as much as their fault so like it, yeah. th- these things happen um uh it just outlines a lot of their kind of future plans um and most importantly that they've got projects in the cooker right now that they're going to publish themselves yeah. Um, because Platinum has been immensely successful over the past couple of years doing license deals uh, with other publishers, um, but they're finding a tremendous amount of frustration. Uh, specifically, mm-hmm. they cite the difficulty of uh, Bayonetta 2 even existing, like yeah. how, how hard it was to get Sega to relinquish their publication rights on Bayonetta so that Bayonetta 2 and eventually 3 could happen. So yeah. there's just a lot of discussion in the article about uh, their plans to move forward uh with self-publicated, self-published projects so that they can have full creative control of the new IPs that they create so that mm-hmm. they can make... Basically, they like... Platinum specifically likes making sequels. They like iterating on things they've done, improving, and they want to be able to do that more with less red tape. Mm-hmm. So they're going to start creating new IPs that are self-published to allow them to have the greater freedom to do this. Um, yeah. Also then embedded in the article was the kind of... Just the tease is that they are working on some new projects 
And one of the projects that they're working on, they say it is, quote, Inaba says it is truly unlike anything else. Even for our varied history of veteran game developers, this is something that has never been designed before. So from a game design perspective, we are very excited right now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, Platinum is uh, legendary. And though they're one of my favorite developers, specifically because of the strength of their design. So to have them saying that they're working on something that's truly unique from a design perspective is really like i got the goosey bumpies thinking about it because <laughs> like what like, what are they cooking up yeah yeah inaba did apparently also say that he's interested in the battle royale genre as well but i don't think that very much qualifies as something that's never been seen before at this point no but their take um, on it would be yes i mean yes yes I mean, anarchy anarchy reigns yeah. was a really interesting conceptual mm. game uh, on the idea of online multiplayer like yes definitely. they did really interesting things with that yeah and so he, he's he specifically praised the work that respawns done with apex legends recently and based on the strength of that game he said that he doesn't want to do if he, if they did do a battle royale game they wouldn't want to do something that's just shooting because he feels that apex legends has already sort of set the bar so high in that that he doesn't want to go in that direction so his words are trying to come up with something that's our taste in that genre could be very interesting um it just just one of their action games with on like multiplayer like yeah i'd play that <laughs> and and, and I mean, just just like a sort of reimagining of something like Anarchy Reigns would probably do quite well right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so Anarchy Reigns is super ahead of its time. Yes, definitely. I I, I remember attending a a, a preview uh, event for it down in London and thinking it looked super cool, and then being quite disappointed when it came out, and just no one seemed to think very much of it, and no one played it. So a lot of lot of wasted potential there, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it was still a, it's still a very interesting game that's uh, that's worth a look um yeah so that's all very exciting i'm definitely up for for more platinum game stuff especially if they have complete control over it because i can i can see them doing some absolutely crazy nonsense with that mm -hmm. which will be a lot of fun um other stuff that we've got um dina has announced that is it dina dna i never know sure. i yeah. always just go dina but yeah, um, they've announced that they're partnering with the Pokemon company on a new Pokemon smartphone game. They haven't said what it is yet, but people are speculating that it's either a follow-up to Pokemon Go or some sort of Pokemon Gacha game, either of which would make a certain amount of sense. Um, probably a Pokemon Gacha would make more sense, I would have thought, because I, I feel like Pokemon Go's kind of had its time now, and I, yeah. I'm not sure if they just release a new one, what they'd be able to do differently, no, and, that, really. So. And Pokemon Go is still going strong. Exactly. With, with continued exactly. support. Exactly. Um, Whatever this is, it's probably going to hew closer to Dina's other successful stuff with Nintendo, right? Because yeah. Yeah. Uh, Fire Emblem has been tremendously successful. Uh -huh. Um uh, Animal Crossing Pocket Camp incredibly successful, so uh -huh. it's going to hew closer to that stuff. No yeah. doubt, no doubt about it. Yeah, and I mean Pokemon makes sense for that format of game as well. So, I mean, it won't be quite the same experience as as as, as playing a, a standalone Pokemon title on a on a handheld or a console. But I mean, they are working on that as well. So. We'll see. We'll see. There are there are no details on that at the minute. They just said that they are working on it. Um. And the last thing I've got is uh, Tetris 99, which came out a little while back as a free download for Nintendo Switch Online subscribers, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, that is getting some $9.99 DLC uh, that allows you to play offline in several modes. Uh, so it's called the Big Block DLC, uh, and that includes um, Tetris 99 against 
CPU players, so you can play it offline, uh, and also the standard Tetris marathon mode as well. So uh, basically, you can turn Tetris 99 into regular Tetris. Tetris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whatever. I have um, I have Poyo Pop Tetris or whatever that was. So you can, yeah, I can just play that if I want to play regular Tetris. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, yeah, you can just play normal marathon Tetris in that as well. So, but. Um, yeah, I mean, this is this is another option for those who don't want that or, or can't pick that up or whatever. So, yes. All right. Anything else you'd spotted? Yeah, I just thought it was cool that um, NG Dev is going to be releasing um, Gunlord to the Switch. Uh, so, mm. Gunlord is cool. Uh, it's essentially, you know, uh, like a Euro platformer in the same vein as Turrican. Uh, but it was released many years ago. Well, I guess not many years ago, but back in the earlier 2000, uh, 2010s, um, and it was one of those games that was released for the Neo Geo and Dreamcast, just because oh, okay. they could. Like, they yeah. decided they wanted to make a Neo Geo and Dreamcast game, but, you know, when that originally came out, it was kind of prohibitively expensive, especially if you wanted the Neo yeah. Geo one. So, yeah. I mean, it's one of those games that's kind of prized by collectors because the art is really neat. Um, the pixel art is just unbelievable so oh, yeah, that looks really really nice yeah, yeah so the fact that this is coming out to switch is pretty exciting um and it's an enhanced version with some new bosses and additional content which is great mm -hmm. um it's also very likely that a physical edition can will happen because play asia has published physical editions for like the past three or four ng dev games yeah so it'll very likely be something you can add to your physical collection I'm not a huge fan of, of the feel of Euro-style platformers, but j just based on the pixel art of this alone and the fact that it was originally developed for the Geo kind of makes it yeah. something that I want to have. Yeah. But it's, this, is kind, this is kind of interesting to me because, like, looking at this, this screenshot that's on uh, Gematsu, I mean, that, I mean, it both looks like a Euro platformer and a Neo Geo game. Like, there's stuff about the interface that is, like iconically neo geo to me like the font they've used and the yeah like the gradient on the on the numbers and that sort of thing it, it looks like a neo geo game but then like the sprites and the the sort of layout of the actual game screen and the way that's working out it looks very much like turrican as you say so uh, it's a weird animal <laughs> it's mm. a weird also like legendarily hard of, yeah. cor of course of course so yeah, yeah, we'll be uh, watching out for that. So that's just saying 2019 that's coming at the minute. I don't think there's anything more specific than that from the sound of things. But yeah, we'll be uh, watching out for that for sure. Definitely up for this uh, sort of reimagining of uh, classic European stuff that's uh, been coming recently. Because um, Strictly Limited Games has just put up that uh, Ultra Core game as well, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's a bit of a bit of a resurgence in the sort of 16-bit Euro platformer uh, market, and that's uh, evidently the next fashionable thing, I guess. But we'll see. Okay, anything else you wanted to bring up? Let me see here. Uh, da, 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 da. Yeah, I mean nothing really huge. Just um, that the Undernight Inbirth series appears to be continuing. The latest arcade version, uh, Undernight Inbirth EXE Late, has been has been. <laughs> has been confirmed by, uh, I believe, 
Taiwanese rating boards for PS4 yes. and Switch releases. So that's cool. Um, this series has a really interesting following, specifically in like the hardcore fighting game community. Um, yeah, there there yeah. was a bit of a hullabaloo because it's going to be at Evo this year. Mm-hmm. Like it, yeah. it's, it's actually one of the games being featured at this year's Evo. So it's kind of gaining a lot of traction. So I haven't had a chance to play it yet, but if this new most complete version makes it onto the PS4, I might finally bite because it's got some really cool character designs and stuff yeah yeah i i know it's, it's very well received and uh, i i sort of have a passing acquaintance with a few people who are into into fighting games and i they, they they've always had very uh, positive things to say about uh Unist, as the previous one was oh. uh, was abbreviated oh, good. people are des- people are desperately trying to make the abbreviation uneclair work for this one which it almost does but not quite <laughs> this is might be the most unwieldy titled game i've ever encountered and yeah i've been a square fan for my entire life so that's saying something yeah i mean it's got a colon it's got a square bracket it doesn't have a semicolon which i'm disappointed about they could easily put a semicolon in between under and night mm. under semicolon night in birth exe colon late square bracket cl dash r so bracket. so few of the things <laughs> are even words in the title of this game <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Well, there you have it. Okay, I think that's probably all the news for the minute, isn't it? So, like, no, like we said, nothing huge going on, but a few interesting stuff that uh, that's sort of been announced or confirmed or whatever. So, uh, yeah, some stuff to look forward to. Mm-hmm. But for now, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back and, uh, well, I'll talk about what I've been playing recently. <laughs> <laughs> I have some stuff. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, so we'll see you in a moment. Welcome back. So, in our second segment, we like to talk about what we've been playing recently. So, Chris, you claim you've been playing some stuff recently, so... Yeah, well, I've been continuing my exploration of kind of like just quick arcadey stuff that I can enjoy mm-hmm. before work, and I've recently re-fell in love with classic Mark stuff. Oh, yes. Yeah, Beautiful. so I've been playing quite a bit of um, Super Stardust HD lately. Oh, a wonderful game. Yeah, which is just, just a, a real pleasure. Um, especially um, with the gold melter weapon. <laughs> yes, like, just, yes. just like getting that to full power and like whipping it around with the analog is like such a pleasure. Yeah. Um, so I've been playing a lot of that. Um, the recent uh, limited run on Friday did a release for Battle Garega, which is one of my all-time favorite shooters. Uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I wanted do an episode about rising and aiding shooters eventually but i've also been diving back into like the the rising and aiding back catalog so battle garega battle bacrade um the the whole maho daisaku sen series which is really just delicious mm-hmm. so i've been playing quite a bit of just like shmups and arcadey stuff lately to to some great effect um, I also think we should pay a little lip service to uh, that we finally got together and played a little Dragon Marked for Death online. Oh, yes. Yes, and we that, should do that again as well sometime. Yeah, yeah, that was a good time because uh, I played it again after we played online and I, I hated it again. So <laughs> so it's definitely like only fun with you. <laughs> uh, like only fun with a friend because it feels so dead and lifeless without someone else there. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
yeah, I think we had a really good time, and I was surprised how well it worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and I think that the design of that game really shines in the multiplayer, right? Because um, I was a bit skeptic about kind of what it was trying to do, kind of translating the class-based MMO experience to a side-scroller. But like mm-hmm. you, you were playing the magician. I'm playing the knight, and it worked really cool because my my yeah. sh- my shield heals anyone in it. So like we were communicating MMO style during the big boss fights, and I was like, "Get in my shield now!" And I would pull my shield up, heal the both of us, and then you were dealing your damage, and I was trying to block. And it really worked out well multiplayer because it wasn't just focusing on the enemies that I was worried about. I was also focusing on my job tanking for you. Yes, and I've yeah. never had that experience in a side scroller before. Mm. Yeah, it was it was really interesting because sort of the, the the witch character, which is the one that I was playing, is so sort of technical uh, because there's so many so many complicated button combinations to do her spells and things that yeah, it's just really interesting to have to concentrate on those and keep an eye on your positioning and making sure I'm staying behind you and out of the way of the enemies or sort of keep keep sort of have you tanking the boss in one direction and me behind it and things. That's a sort of classic MMO strategy as well. So yeah, that's that sort of really added an interesting layer to that game. So um, I've, I've not had a lot of time to try it by myself really, so I don't know if the witch is more fun than the um, than the knight character uh, solo. But uh, yeah, I definitely enjoyed what I played, and I'm, I'm up for some more definitely. Yeah, yeah, we'll have to do that very soon. Mm-hmm. I want to start a ninja too because I feel like part of my part of my <laughs> dislike of that game is how sparse and empty the environments are so i feel like if i'm a character who inherently moves a bit faster that'll lessen yeah. some of the yeah. the distaste i have for it but i keep trying because it's into creates and i want to give them the benefit of the doubt but i'm just <laughs> i'm just bouncing off this one mm-hmm. well that's that's fair enough and i mean they've been pretty upfront about the fact that it's it's kind of designed to be experienced multiplayer anyway so yeah for sure yeah it is it is the best way to try i mean the ideal thing for that would be if you had a group of local friends with switches and you could play local multiplayer sessions regularly rather than having to rely yeah. on people on the internet um and i mean yeah. that that is an that is an option in the game but obviously you need to know the people and they need to have the game and all that yeah yes sadly it's not as easy as it once was in uh, the no. good old days when oh. you could just get friends over when I talk, try to talk to people about video games, they look at me like I'm speaking a different language because the the games I'm interested in and the games they're interested in are just so fundamentally different. Yeah, same, same. I I mean, like, probably my my sort of most the person who's is typically been the most gamer of all my friends. Like, all he plays now is Skyrim, and like he's been playing it for like thousands of hours, and like play something else please yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god it's a like, great, but, but great I, big but world I've, out there yeah it's like but i've installed 250 mods on it it's like that doesn't make it good if you have to install 250 mods on a game to make it good that game isn't very good <laughs> but i mean i do uh, i do like the mod like i think the mod community is really cool like you know yeah. we, we were talking about um rage 2 the other day and how mm-hmm. how we're kind of mildly curious about it because um you know it makes really cool single player first person yeah. shooters and rage 2 is single player only and um one of the guys at work that i do i can occasionally talk to about games he's a he's a big pc guy and he, he's a coder he's our he's our company's like it guy who codes and helps make like back workarounds for our yeah, yeah. Pro- for our for our uh 
you know, solutions in our programming that we use. Uh, and he is really excited that Rage is single player because it has already been like, yeah, there's going to be cheat codes. It's going to be just like an old FPS. And that also, that that also means immediate like mod support, right? Because if it's single player only, there's nothing for mods to muck up. Yeah. So that's true. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not necessarily against mods per se, um, but I just tend to find in games that are heavily moddable that I just end up spending more time managing the mods and thinking, oh, well, what if oh, I install sure. this one? Will that provide a better experience? And I just don't end up having any fun with the game. Uh, um, did you uh, did I, you see that uh, that mod for Fallout? Which one? The one that was on Silicon Air a couple of days ago that makes all the girls cute anime girls, therefore making Fallout immediately more enjoyable. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did see that. Oh, God. Yeah, probably still wouldn't want make me want to play Fallout, but uh, yeah, it's, it's a step in the right direction, definitely. Uh, there's, there's a very similar one for uh, Left 4 Dead, I think, that puts all the Neptunia characters in it. <laughs> like, places, of, places of four characters in Left 4 Dead with, like, um, Neptune, Noir, Vert, and Blanc. And... Um, yeah, I've I've seen I've seen quite a few people playing that. <laughs> uh, I'd feel too bad. There's friendly fire in that game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, mods can be cool, and like I had a lot of fun with some mods back in uh, back with Morrowind. I didn't really bother with Oblivion and with Skyrim, but Morrowind there were a lot of interesting mods. But again, I found myself sort of getting a bit more drawn into the mod stuff and then getting a bit frustrated when there was like a cool mod that had a story that like wasn't finished or something like that no like like i I vividly remember playing through a cool mod for morrowind called children of the night which was a lot more sort of story and character based than morrowind itself was so i I was obviously really enjoying that because that's the sort of thing i was into um but it was unfinished so like you couldn't finish the story and it just broke after a certain point you were just like i need resolution (laughs) that sucks yeah, um, but I mean, I, I, at the same time, I have really fond memories of the modding scene back in the late 90s for Wolfenstein 3D, for Doom, for Duke Nukem 3D, and that sort of thing. So, I don't know, mixed feelings. It's just like, um, I think, like, maps and stuff I, I'm cool with, and, like, graphics replacements, maybe, but, like, mods that are sort of fundamentally changing the way the game plays and sort of fixing it, if you like, if... If those become necessary, I, I find myself not very interested in the game in the first place. So. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I'm mostly into that kind of stuff. Uh, I'm not really into like changing the fundamental mechanics of the game, but like mm-hmm. the other, like that guy I was telling you about at work, he shared with me a really exciting mod for Halo. Um, what was the one? Reach, maybe. Yeah. A- anyway, uh, one of the Halo games, and it changes the texture of every single model in the game to be pepperoni pizza. <laughs> so, Why? So, so it's just it's just a world of pizza and like that and and the helicopter like blades on like the drop ships are just giant pizzas. <laughs> and like like you have to you have to google this. And then and every single sound effect in the entire game is replaced with a sound effect of Peter Parker from one of the Spider-Man movies going it's pizza time. Like Why? every, every, Why every, did someone do that? Every, every, every single time your gun fires, it's pizza time. It's pizza time. It's pizza time. And like, so this, this is the joy of the mod community. Ugh. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I mean, like I say, the last time I really sort of got deep into it was probably sort of doom and stuff. And yeah, like there was, um, 
PC's own magazine over here, which is the magazine my, my brother used to run and that I, I contributed to a bit after he left as well. Um, they did their cover CD one month was like uh, sort of 500 Doom Wads. Um, oh wow! So, so there were loads of loads of cool stuff on there. Um, but uh, one slipped through the net that they didn't find that happened to have a lot of pornography in it. Oh my! <laughs> yes, uh, there was a, it was xdoom.wad, and it it didn't it wasn't a very good mod. It, pretty much all it did was it just replaced all of Doom's standard textures with uh, pictures of porn. Oh, um, cool! But uh, yeah, that was that was fun when I was like uh, fifteen. Oh. <laughs> you were, you were old enough for it not to screwed you up. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I cut my teeth on pixel art doing Doom mods. Like, that mm. was that was the first time I ever did like original pixel art. Was yeah. uh, I had a buddy Ray and we would sit in his basement and work up Doom mods. And one day he was like, "Chris, you're a pretty good artist. You want to try to make the graphics?" And I said, "Okay." And then. That was like the first time I ever did pixel art was doing oh, Doom mods. Cool. Yeah, well, I've um, I, I've told this story in a few other places before, but I, I'm technically a professional game designer thanks to Wolfenstein 3D. Oh yeah, um, yeah, you did yeah. tell us that story. Yeah, because uh, back in back in the sort of pre widespread internet days, our family was on CompuServe, uh, which is uh, sort of very similar to to what people now remember as AOL. But Compu CompuServe and AOL eventually merged, but CompuServe used to be its own thing. Um, and there were lots of forums on CompuServe, one of which was like the Gamers Forum. You'd go gamers and you'd go to the Gamers Forum. And uh, one day, I forget the exact context, but I came across someone who was requesting um, Wolfenstein 3D levels that people had made. And I'd been fiddling around with uh, some stuff at the time because I was sort of casually working for a local shareware library, doing stuff for their catalogue and stuff like that at the time. So I had access to a lot of... Um, sort of the the wolfenstein editors and mods and stuff that would come in on floppy disks because because this was sort of the pre-internet days you couldn't just go and download them uh you had to get them from places like this shareware library um so yeah i'd been fiddling with the wolfenstein map editors a lot uh, at the time and i'd made a bunch of uh, 10 levels that i was pretty pleased with um so i thought no oh, i'll send them over to this guy what's what's the worst that could happen and um a little while later, um, I got a, a check for $200, uh, a free registered copy of Wolfenstein 3D, and a copy of the Apogee Super Upgrades expansion pack for Wolfenstein 3D, which incorporated my 10 levels, which is uh, very cool indeed. So I, I don't know I don't know if you can actually still get that pack anywhere, but if, if you can track down the Super Upgrades pack for Wolfenstein 3D, there are 10 levels in there that are by me. So enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> huh, that's really cool. Uh, side note, how did we get on the mod community? Um, don't <laughs> what, know. What, what, did the, what, what tangent did we follow to make that happen? Um, what have you been playing? What have I been playing? <laughs> what have I been playing? Um, well, I have been playing uh, one game that I'm going to talk about in the third segment, so I'll, I will hold fire on that for the minute. Uh, I do want to talk a bit about Neverinth, though. Mm -hmm, yeah, um, tell me all about this business. Yeah, so Neverinth is a game that I hadn't heard of until quite recently, um, but uh, it was apparently quite well received at uh, sort of the indie showcases at uh, places like PAX and so on. Um, and it's a game by a company called Creact Games, who I think are, I think they're Chinese, um, possibly, I'm not sure. They're, they're, they're definitely from, from somewhere in Asia, I think. And they've got an agreement with a publishing company called Another Indie. And what this is basically is it's a randomly generated action RPG um, based on Norse mythology. Um, and it's got sort of um, 
I'm trying very specifically not to use certain words here. It's, <laughs> it's got it, it's got uh, sort of heavyweight, slow-paced, uh, timing-based action combat in it, if you know what I mean by that. Um, a lot so, of stamina management going on. Stamina here. management going on, yes. Uh, dodge rolling, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so so a lot, lot of observation of enemy movements and animations and so and blocking with good timing and doing block and riposte and parrying and that sort of thing and um, getting uh, currency from enemies that is both experience points and stuff that you can spend on items. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really cool. Um, and um, <laughs> It's uh, it's roguelike Dark Souls. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. We're all yeah, friends here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's cool. And I, I found myself responding much more positively to this than I have previous attempts at these Souls games just because uh, it's not as demanding of your time is the main thing. Uh, also, so the like girls the, are cute. The girls are cute, yes. The girls are cute. And the thigh muscles on the redhead are terrifying. Um but um yeah no the, the this this is a game that uh, does not expect you to sit down with it for like 50 100 hours at a time to get a meaningful experience from it because it is following the sort of procedurally generated it's it's the sort of rogue light structure if you like is 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 how it tends to get described these days mm-hmm. which means that you have your individual run and if you die in that you have to start again but there is a persistent progression method in there as well so there's yeah, stuff I love you unlock that. as you go through um so um, you can sit down and you can have an attempt at it, and that will take maybe ten or fifteen minutes or so on before you die horribly. Um, at the at the moment, there are two complete levels in the dungeon with two bosses, and then there's two sort of unfinished levels after that as well. Um, which which means that sort of if you get through the whole thing, it will probably take you less than an hour at the moment. Uh, but it's designed for repeat plays because of all this stuff you unlock, um, and you unlock stuff through achievements basically. Um, but these achievements are not just sort of actually successfully doing stuff. There's also achievements for taking a certain amount of damage, for uh, killing a certain number of enemies with a particular weapon, for sort of breaking a certain number of boxes and so on. And every one of those then starts adding additional things into the dungeon on subsequent runs. So, for example, if you if you kill a certain number of enemies with the sword and shield combination of weapons, then that means in subsequent runs you, you are more likely to come across uh, sort of better sword and shield weapons and that sort of thing. Oh, okay. And, and so, and so, the more you play the game, the more interesting variety of things you'll be able to discover as you go through. So, it's pretty simple when you first start playing. But the further you go, the 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 more um, variety there is in the runs. So, like the 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 more that one run will feel quite different from uh, a subsequent one. So, because each each time you go through. Um, each time you, you 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 go through a floor of the dungeon, you don't necessarily see all of the possible room types. So sometimes you'll go through and uh, you'll have a pretty a pretty straight line to the finish without any sort of special rooms in there. Other times you might find a shop along the way that you can spend some of your essence on to get items as well as leveling up your stats. Uh, sometimes you'll come across uh, like a sh- uh, a blood shrine, I think it's called, where you sacrifice your maximum health value in order to get um, sort of semi-permanent buffs for that particular run. So it makes you weaker, but it makes you have a particularly strong special ability. Um, all of the sort of equipable trinkets and things that you find along the way, they have like a permanent passive benefit while you wear them. And they also uh, give you a temporary pool of shield hit points as well, uh, which oh, is quite okay. an interesting mechanic. So like um, 
if if say you've taken a bit of damage of uh, from that accessory but you find a new accessory that maybe isn't quite as good as the one you're currently wearing you might want to take that anyway just for the extra hit points it gives you for for a, a temporary period so there's 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 a lot of interesting decisions to make on each playthrough of this and it plays really nicely and smoothly some people have reported some optimization issues on certain pcs uh, i've not had a problem with it personally uh, and they are, that is one thing they are prioritizing on working on at the moment because it's it's early access at the moment so there's very frequent updates at the right now um but yeah, it plays plays really nicely. There's at the moment there's two characters and two weapon types. So there's the uh, the blue head chick who's sort of the the cover girl to it, who is um, she's a sword and shield character. So she's mostly about um, sort of either. Um, sort of blocking and reposting with the shield, basically. So if you if you time a block perfectly, it's a bit like the. Um, the parry attack in dark Souls. so you time that perfectly you'll automatically strike back when you knock an attack out of the way uh so that's kind of her key mechanic if you like uh and the other character starts with a great sword so she doesn't really have as much capability to block uh she does have a move that is capable of blocking incoming attacks but she's more designed for kind of going on the aggressive so like her strong attack for example she leaps at them with the great sword oh excuse me terribly sorry um <laughs> she leaps at them with the great sword and sort of knocks them down onto the floor and then you can get a couple of free attacks on the enemies while they're lying on the floor and so on so getting real feel for these different weapons is uh, is a, a key part of the game and um yeah so it's it's looking really cool so far so like i say it's, it's unfinished at the moment because it's early access and they're pretty open about that um the the final game is supposed to have five different playable characters each of whom will have uh, kind of a story to discover about oh, their neat. background they're all supposed to be sort of based on uh, legendary heroines i think um, oh, okay and, i hope and there's so a spear I, character in there yeah I, I i i don't know what they're what they're planning for the other weapons at the minute because like i say it's just sword and shield and great sword at the minute but presumably each of each of the characters will have their own iconic weapon uh, but at the same time if you particularly like a character but you don't like their weapon type there's nothing stopping you switching to another weapon type so you can play the blue haired girl with the great sword if you want to oh okay uh, you just have to like find it in the dungeon run or, or, yeah, or do you exactly. equip it before after after a certain period there's one of the achievements uh unlocks the the various weapon types in the in the hub area before you go into the main dungeon oh um, cool and and from there you can if you want to use the great sword you just pick up the great sword and there's certain related achievements to that that mean that that great sword you pick up might be slightly better than the normal starting sword and so on so yeah it, again there's so this nice, nice sort of random loot thing going on there as well so i like it yeah an interesting thing about the about the loot is in my experience so far there's there's never sort of something that is just straight up better than something else there's always sort of some sort of decision you have to make because yes this sword might be stronger but it might cost you more stamina to swing or something like that or yes this sword might do less damage but it attacks more quickly and that sort of thing so there's um yeah there's the it's rare that you'll find something that is sort of flat out better than something previously you've got so it's not just a um, number scaling game no no it's 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 all about playstyle and developing your playstyle and adapting that playstyle to the items you find and so on so yeah i'm re i'm really um really excited about about playing this and i'm glad that it was brought to my attention in the first place because I've, I've been very much enjoying it so far um what else have i been playing uh, i've been revisiting shadow warrior 2 after uh, last episode's uh, discussion as well oh yay yeah so having a lot of fun with that 
Um, I, uh, I started a new game rather than picking up my uh, my save file that I had before, um, which I'd got to the sort of end game side of things, which I haven't really explored at all yet. So, just to sort of refamiliarise myself with the game, I thought I'd start a new uh, a new playthrough on a harder difficulty. And um, my first playthrough, I was primarily uh, focusing on the melee combat in there, which is great in that game because there's loads mm-hmm. of interesting special moves and stuff. Uh, this time around, I'm using the guns a bit more. And uh, yeah, the guns in that game are really fun. Um, I hadn't really sort of appreciated it much before because I hadn't really taken the time to put the, the upgrade gems in them and, and make them really worth using. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, there's, there's, there's some really cool guns in there. And the... The very nature of Shadow Warrior Two is that you can change how things, um, how how uh, your various weapons work in quite radical ways by plugging these gems into them. So, a lot of people complain about um, sort of Shadow Warrior having too much loot, if you like. But um, and there is a lot of loot. You do pick up a lot of loot throughout the game. But the the sort of way to think of it is you're kind of um sort of enhancing your skills really so if you if you think of it in sort of diablo terms then basically the actual weapons you pick up are like um the skills that you're using and then the stuff you plug into those things are the equivalent of the various bits of armor that you then put on your character to enhance various aspects of it and boost certain types of damage and boost certain secondary stats and so on so um but the further you go in the game, there's sort of a lot of focus on sort of hitting weak points and that sort of thing as well. So, like, if you you can sort of develop your arsenal so that, like, you have a shotgun that shoots acid bullets and you have a submachine gun that sets things on fire and, um, like, a pistol that freezes things and that kind of thing. So you, you can really alter the way these weapons work uh, as the game goes on and you can freely chop and change and swap around these gems as much as you like as well they're not like permanent upgrades or anything like that so you can quite feasibly stick with a weapon that you really like and just continually upgrade it and do interesting things with it throughout the game uh, but i think the thing i like the most about shadow warrior 2 is just how it feels to play just because the mm. the movement in that game is so delicious it's um a lot of people tend to talk about um things like titanfall as a really good example of first person movement done right yeah yeah, um, yeah but yeah shadow warrior is is a really great example because it's it's basically taking a lot of principles from third person character action games and translating them into first person so you can do things like you can double jump uh you can air dash you can um you can sort of do um uh, what it calls a ninja landing so you do a fast fall and then you roll at the bottom of it so you kind of get up from a fall a bit more quickly um and just the the whole movement in the game is just really nice and fluid so like you can scramble over walls and stuff and grab onto rooftops and pull yourself up onto them and so it's it's just a lot more flexible and smooth in terms of movement than your average first person shooter and yeah it just makes it a real pleasure to play so i know you've played the first shadow warrior uh, the first shadow warrior remake haven't you but you haven't played the second one yet have you correct yes definitely worth a look definitely worth a look because i've been very much enjoying revisiting that lately Um, i do own it mm, yeah i I bought because when special reserve they did a two-pack a physical pressing of both together in one pack and i got that so it is on my radar for sure Mm. but 
yeah, it's it, it's definitely one of my favourite sort of shooting loots that we've had recently, and it's got a good sense of humour. It's got Stan Bush music in it. I mean, what more can you want, really? <laughs> no, no, I like. I really, I really appreciate. I really appreciated the first one. Like, I still think very fondly about the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a lot of ways, I credit it as kind of giving me a second lease on life in regards to the first person genre in general. Like, yeah. You know, I was pretty sour on it for a while, but then when I think back to like how much fun I had with Shadow Warrior, like I find myself wanting to get more first person games and just ignoring the multiplayer component. Like, yeah, like definitely. I kind of want to play through Halo. Yeah. After, yeah. En- after enjoying Shadow Warrior, it's like I don't have to acknowledge the multiplayer aspect. I can just enjoy it as a, as a first person yeah. ride, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I think the first Shadow War in particular is quite an interesting one because it's, it, for me, it struck the perfect blend between modern and old school first person shooter design. Yes. So it had, it had the speed and the fluid movement of sort of like the 90s first person shooter, but it had the, the sort of clear sense of progression and level structure that a modern one does. Yeah. Um, and, and so you sort of work your way through these levels that have a clear path from the start to the finish, but there are secrets to find, there's things to explore. Um, but then there's sort of big uh fun confrontations in there as well so sort of one game that i often compared the first shadow warrior 2 was painkiller so there's yeah. a, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of sort of enemy arenas in that first shadow warrior where you sort of put in a, a big area and there's a swarm of enemies coming at you and before you can advance you need to de- find a way to defeat all those yeah. enemies and it's yeah, not just give- a case of hacking and slashing your way through them you have to sort of use a bit of tactics and strategy to to pick yeah. out them the right targets in the right order and so on to give you an idea like where I come from in terms of enjoying first-person shooters, I recently had a dream about recommending Painkiller to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> like, I love Painkiller. Painkiller is great. Yeah, Painkiller is awesome. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, at one point, um, the at one point there was a description of the game on GOG.com that was written by me, fun fact. It's oh. not there anymore, unfortunately, but... Um, yeah, uh, for, for a little while I was working with GOG.com, writing some stuff about their various games, but then they revamped their whole website, and most of the stuff I did was lost, unfortunately. But uh, oh, it sucks. Yes, so that was that. That is my main sort of uh, tenuous connection to Painkiller, definitely. But oh, yeah, so um, Shadow Warrior Two, very good. Uh, for some reason, I cannot convince my friends who I know would love this game to try it. I've tried numerous times. I'm saying this is a really cool game. You'd enjoy it. It's got loot. It's got shooting. It's got offensive humor. You would, you would, you would love it. You love all of those things. And and they just like, oh, I don't want to. <laughs> I wonder uh, why. I, I don't know. I just don't know. And they 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 don't. They just won't really explain what it is about it that won't appeal to them because they they like all of those types of games like they like diablo they like borderlands they like um sort of 90 shooters and yeah it's 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 just weird that it, it, it just doesn't seem to appeal to them for some reason huh. but uh, i will keep trying i will keep trying because it goes on sale very often as well at some point i will probably just buy it for them and yeah say, get, you gift, go. It. gift it gift it on the next <laughs> steam sale yeah but yeah, um, I think that is most of the stuff I've been playing lately. Uh, like I say, there's, there's one big thing, which is the current Murray Gamer cover game feature, but I'm going to be talking a bit more about that in the third segment, so we'll save that for then. Sweet. So, uh, anything else you want to bring up? No, I think that's it. Good stuff. All right, let's take a break for now then, and we will come back with our main topic. So, see you in a moment.
Welcome back. So for our main topic today, we wanted to talk about distinctive art styles. And rather than uh, sort of be vague about this and sort of just go generally distinctive art styles, we particularly wanted to focus on uh, sort of crafted or toy-like looks. So, so, sort of games that make a specific attempt to almost look like another medium. Um, and so there's there's kind of several angles i want to look at this one of which is the the kind of idea of of uh, toys to life so not in the skylander sense but in the sense of making something look like a, a diorama of plastic toys doing things they were never intended to do in the real world um and also uh, alongside that the idea of um sort of a game's visual um side of things being made of something other than pixels or polygons so kind of two two real angles on that so um before we get into specific examples um i just wanted to to sort of ponder why this sort of thing might be appealing or desirable so like why we wanted to talk about this in the first place so have you got any thoughts on that why this is a, a sort of appealing thing to do uh, well i mean to me it's just like there's just something so magical about lending a sense of physicality to that artistic presentation Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. you know, like as someone who's been dabbling in the arts for a long time, like it's not, I don't just like to paint, like, you know, if you hand me a piece of clay, I like to fiddle with that. If you hand, yeah. you know, I like to, I've, I've whittled in my life. I, I like mm-hmm. to do woodworking. Like I like to craft, I like to make things yeah. and I like to interact with physical objects. Um, I've got a real like penchant for obsessing over texture Mm-hmm. In in my life, like I like fabrics and and stuff. I have a real um, like I'm really like when I, when I go like shopping for new shirts, like I get in trouble because I get so sidelined by fabrics that I totally forget to pay attention to what the clothing even like looks like. Like I, <laughs> I like so texture out texturals and like and physicality are really important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just uh, I've always collected toys as well as games, so like. Yeah. The idea of having a game that is a digital toy box mm-hmm. where I, you can play without making a mess, where you can interact with toys without breaking them, yeah. um, that, that's all so appealing to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I think for me, uh, sort of building on what you just said there, the idea of being able to do things with a toy that you can't do if they were an actual toy. Because mm-hmm. I, I remember quite vividly when i was a kid playing with certain toys and sort of using my imagination a great deal but also at the same time getting frustrated that i couldn't sort of actually manifest the things that were going on in my head like i had i had this awesome um kind of uh space carrier toy type thing called manta force mm-hmm. which was like a, a massive mothership that had all of these vehicles inside it and all these little people that you could put in the vehicles and so on and it was it was amazing um but like there, there was just sort of sort of playing with that i was always sort of quite conscious of the fact that i was actually sitting on my lounge floor playing with it and i wasn't actually sending them underwater or through the through the air or anything like that and that side of things just sort of always got me slightly frustrated as a kid um and w- one of the things i like about this this kind of thing the kind of the kind of sort of toys to life presentation is the ability to sort of really realize those kind of childish fantasies if you like yeah, well, I mean, one of my favorite things about um, uh, 
you know, this isn't an example of the type of games we want to talk about today, but I really love the two uh, Transformers games that High Moon Studios did a couple of years yes. ago. Uh, War for Cybertron, and I forget what the other one was, Be- because I-, I remember the first time I played the first one, and I was just screaming, this is what was going on inside my head. <laughs> when, like, yeah. when I was on the floor with my dad, like, playing Transformers in, like, the late 80s, like, sitting on the carpet, like, that was what inside my head was happening. Yes. And, and so yes. it's co- it's cool when you can feel that way. Yes. Um, and at the same time, the original concept of Super Smash Brothers was this exactly, wasn't it? The, yes. the original concept of Super Smash Brothers was a kid playing with his toys and having battles with them. Uh, arguably, the series has kind of lost sight of that a little bit over the years, which is kind of fine because it's it's just awesome Nintendo characters and other game characters fighting in various different contexts now, which is amazing in its own right. But um, yeah, the, the original concept of Super Smash Brothers was being able to realize the fantasies of having mario beat the shit out of yoshi or whatever so yes so okay um should we get into a few specific examples then of what we're talking about yeah let's let's dive in okay so um one i want to start with is uh one that i played recently which was kind kind of the stimulus for um bringing up this episode in the first place which was uh, kirby and the rainbow paintbrush on right, uh, right. On, wii, on wii u um, or Kirby and the Rainbow Curse, as it's known in North America, I think, for some reason, because you guys don't have paintbrushes? I don't know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, Kirby and the Rainbow Paintbrush, for those unfamiliar, is a game that is rendered entirely in claymation. So rather than traditional pixel arts or uh, hand-drawn sprites or polygons or anything like that, everything is made of clay. And they've really gone the whole hog on this this presentation side of things in that uh, all of the animations on the sprites in the game are deliberately rendered at a low frame rate, sort of like 10, 15 frames a second or so on, to make it look like stop motion animation. Um, and it just makes the game look wonderful. It makes it look like an animated movie. It makes it, it, makes it look like the sort of thing you might see from um, sort of a, a, a claymation movie studio. And it's a really appealing part of that game's presentation. It gives it a nice sense of physicality to it, which is good because of all the Kirby games, this is quite a physical one because so, you're sort of drawing shapes for him to roll along. You're tapping him to make him move and attack and that sort of thing. So it's quite a physical game in the first place. So sort of rendering it in this very physical medium like clay makes a lot of sense. Um, and it's just a really, really nice, distinctive style that that kind of fits with with what Kirby does as well. So... Um, I, so you, I had totally forgotten that that game looked like that until yeah. you made until you made that post about it. Yeah. Now I'm like obsessed with getting a copy because it's, <laughs> it's so beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's it's absolutely lovely, and it, it 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 sort of it sort of brings that all into its kind of thematic side of things as well. So, the 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 plot of it is that someone has stolen all of the colors out of Kirby's land because she wants them for herself. But like the main villain is someone who likes molding things with clay, and so like when you when you are fighting her, she's constantly modeling things in her hands and throwing them at you and stuff, and they turn into different things. But at the same time, because Kirby is also made of clay, as you go through the game, he um, the the rainbow paintbrush who he is with also paints him in different ways and makes him look like a rocket, and makes him look like a tank and that sort of thing, and that gives him different abilities and so on. So they tie it all together really nicely, and it, it, it's just a, a lovely, consistent feel for it. And I think more broadly speaking, um, Nintendo 
are the masters of what we're talking about here. Just yeah. Because oh yeah. My list as, that I made for today is like 50-60% Nintendo games. Yeah. Yeah, just just because nin- Nintendo um particularly in the last two possibly three console generations have really kind of embraced the idea of their games being as much toys as they are games. Well, it's such an uh, important part of their past, right? It, yeah, it's, absolutely. it's an integral absolutely. piece of their identity. Yeah, absolutely. Because Nintendo has a background as a toy manufacturer, which is something that Sony and Microsoft do not. Yeah, it's it's understandable that they can bring that kind of experience and that kind of feel to things as well. But also sort of the fundamental way that a lot of their designers think about games as well is quite different to the sort of things you get from Sony and Microsoft Studios as well. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got things like the, the well-known example of Shigeru Miyamoto talking about Zelda being inspired by exploring caves and forests behind his house and that sort of thing. But yeah, it's it, it, you just get very much get the impression that the people who work at Nintendo and their various studios are all very much in touch with the things that were important to them as children. And they understand how they can use modern technology to do new things with those things that were important to them. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Kirby is by no means the only example of a game who has done something like this. We've had, um, we've had the various Yoshi games have taken different kind of crafted approaches. So most recently you've had Yoshi's crafted world, which is, kind of all sorts of various materials bits of cardboard and that sort of thing mm-hmm. uh before that there was what was it yoshi's woolly world before that wasn't it i think i think that was the wii u one yeah yes even kirby's uh, been doing this for a while too because yeah, kirby's yeah. epic yarn on the original yes. wii yeah and i mean sort of less explicitly kind of crafted if we look at the mario games as well so like the things like super mario 3d world uh very much takes the sort of um plastic toys diorama type type of look and then that is further built on in captain toad treasure tracker yeah yeah uh, which is which is probably the best example of the plastic toys in a diorama thing i can think of at the minute i think Um, this has always been a part of mario's fundamental design um yes uh, even the earliest mario games there was such a emphasis on the the tile sets having very noteworthy uh, texture effects yes so like i kind of staged my notes for today is almost just like a time line mm-hmm. like like guiding me through like different system generations as like as this became more prominent and obviously as modern technology made it even more possible for this type of effect to become more convincing but i have on my list that the really the first game that made me say wow this is made me think of game uh graphics as having physicality and mm-hmm. texture to them was mario 3 um, okay Yep. Yeah, I, I'm thinking very specifically about those very early levels in World One, where the um, the platforms are bolted on. Yes, yes. Like they they actually have like the little bolts or screws, and so, and they've used shadow to make some of them look like they're coming off the background more than others. Yes. And then at the end of the stage is when you run past into that like black zigzag where it's like you run off stage. Yes, yes. And it, it's 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 making the aesthetic extremely clear in Mario 3 that, like, everything you're seeing here is a stage that's been built for you to interact with. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a set design, not a real world. And uh, I remember just, like, that early secret in those early levels where, like, there's that one platform you could stand on, and if you held down and ducked yes. for, like, five seconds, you would drop behind it into the yep. background. Yep. And I just remember as a kid... Like, being like, 
my mind just like fragmenting because like <laughs> I had never considered any kind of third dimensional interactivity. Mm-hmm. Like the notion that you could also go behind. Yeah. So like so like Mario 3 in a lot of ways made me think, oh, well, these are not just squares and rectangles. These are paper cutouts, and some of them are more forward than others and more backward than others. Mm-hmm. And and so like Mario 3 was the first game that really made me think about this. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think Mario has always had a kind of chunky feel to it and um i wanted to bring up something that i've i've kind of sort of wanted to mention for a while really which is something that i've really noticed about myself recently which is i don't know if it is um synesthesia but it's it, it certainly feels something similar to that but like with certain kind of textures and shapes and things like that i sort of get a very strong sense of physicality with them uh, like uh-huh. even if i'm not actually touching them or anything like that it's like i feel it i feel it a lot with shoot 'em ups um in one thing so sort of particular enemy patterns and sort of how difficult it is to destroy enemies and so on but one of the games that i've always felt that with is is mario as well like i've, I've always felt that sense of physicality to the blocks in mario i can, I can sort of yeah imagine their chunkiness i can imagine what those blocks would feel like and so on and so yeah. yeah 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 you're absolutely right the mario games have always felt very much uh on this this sort of toy like side of things um and uh sort of if if we move forward a little bit to something like yoshi's island that's kind of another twist on the same kind of thing isn't it because oh for sure uh although that's less sort of to do with the kind of chunky block side of thing we've got the whole sort of crayon aesthetic going on with that yeah. but at the same time yoshi yoshi's island also embraces the kind of um the 3d aspect you were talking about as well because there are sections in yoshi's island where things fall out of the background it's like polygonal objects in yoshi's islands that will fall out of the background that mm-hmm. you either need to stand on or avoid getting crushed by or that uh, sort of that thing so title screen's legendary just the entire yes. thing the entire the entire thing being pres- kind of presented as pop-up book Yes. basically is is the the overall thrust of Yoshi's Yoshi's Island. Mm-hmm. And and that's kind of in my notes one of the earliest games I can recall where this was an explicit effort. Yes. Like like Mar- Mario 3 it was kind of there but it wasn't you know the tech wasn't quite there in order to, to present this crafted mm-hmm. appearance whereas Yoshi's yes. Island was the first game where it's like no this background element is a sheet of paper that we have scribbled on with crayon yes like that yes. that was the first game to really have that that I can recall mm. yeah I'm trying to think if I if I can think of any earlier examples but no I think I I think you're right sort of around the 16-bit console period is when we sort of really got the tech to be able to do that sort of thing a bit more convincingly so so I, I can think back a bit further and I can I can think back to certain games that have an an interesting feeling of physicality to them and like perhaps an interesting treatment of scale so like probably the most obscure one i can mention is um the the video game of basil the great mouse detective for atari 8-bit um Hmm. in which uh in which you are sort of exploring a familiar environment but because you are a mouse uh, everything is really big um oh, and that, sure and that game did a really good job of kind of expressing how 
how sort of everyday things look massive and quite daunting and, and imposing to uh, a small character like a mouse um i mean it's not quite the same thing as what we're talking about here but it's, it's sort of the, this sense of scale thing going on i think it's related it's, it's related yeah. certainly that's probably the earliest example i can think of um i i actually didn't come to yoshi's island until much later i didn't play it for the first time until sort of like a year or two ago uh, and so I, I i didn't really see that in context but no I remember when you now. discovered it. Yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember having the discussions about it and, 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 and being just being, being delighted at your like childlike wonderment at like discovering <laughs> touch fuzzy, get dizzy, and all, all the classics. Yeah, I, and I mean, it's kind of interesting coming to this stuff for the first time now because I I could come to that with the context of knowing that people have done various different experiments with sort of the almost the substance on which they they are uh, representing the 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 medium on which the game is being presented if you like um and so i, I, can, I can only imagine how kind of mind-blowing and weird that would have been seeing that in its original context so yeah 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 um i'm also thinking too about like uh on on the super nintendo like early early examples um I know I'd mentioned to you on your on your blog when you had first started posting about Kirby's and the Rainbow Paintbrush, um, Kirby's Dreamland Three on the Super Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Um, have Have you had a chance to Google? I haven't yet. No, no. The the the, the Kirby game I've been playing most recently is Dream Course. Uh, oh yeah, that's a great so, game too. Kirby's yeah. Dreamland Three on the Super Nintendo is kind of a forgotten game, mm-hmm. um, but it's aesthetically the entire thing is like colored pencils. Oh, cool. And uh, to this day, I don't understand the wizardry that made that possible, be- <laughs> be- because it's traditional pixel art. Yeah, and they've so they've just made their color and line choices while making the traditional pixel art in such a way that it looks like it's made of colored pencils and and paint and crayon, and like. Uh, uh, from someone who understands how pixel art is made i don't understand how this game is possible um <laughs> so that's a really good example of it and then uh you know with the with the super nintendo i had, I had a note here too that just like in general the onset of uh pre-rendered graphical approaches really mm-hmm. ma- makes this very possible um yeah. it, it's not always intentional but like donkey kong country feels this way to me too because of the yes, way the yes pre-rendered... i always felt that i was i always felt they looked a bit like um sort of physical models yeah 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 exactly and and then there are games that use that pre-rendered technology with clay and stuff. i'm thinking about clay fighter mm-hmm. it's like clay fighter was clay models and using the same way mortal Kombat motion captured real people clay fighter used pre-rendered technology to use motion captured clay models stop and it yeah. was actually a stop motion game basically mm-hmm. um so that was neat too i mean the games sucked but it was awesome that they were <laughs> that they were essentially stop motion a stop motion fighting game it's crazy yeah. to even think about mm. um going into the the, P, the 32-bit era um you know we you had mentioned um the psycho shooting collections for the switch earlier in the episode today and one of the games you mentioned was soul divide mm-hmm. which was one i wanted to talk about a bit today because um the visuals of soul divide always really stuck with me um it's pre-rendered enemies in soul divide but um I- i'm pretty sure it's almost like motion capture like i'm pretty sure they made models and took pictures of them 
Yeah. Um, it's like the whole the whole game has a, a whole visual profile, which I'm not. I still to this day don't know if it was on purpose, like whether it was homage or not. But it feels like the old Ray Harryhausen stop motion animated movies. Yeah, like just Clash looking, of the just, Titans. Yeah, I'm just looking at screenshots right now, and yeah, that was one of the first things I thought. I was like, yeah, this looks kind of like an old movie. <laughs> yeah, and like the character, like the bosses and stuff move with like, like you were talking about with uh, Kirby and the Rainbow Paintbrush, um, a, a reduced frame rate. Mm-hmm. So they have like a like a, this this kind of clunky stuttered movement and they look like stop motion and i'm, yeah. and I'm pretty sure this was on a on purpose homage to these these like old world greco-roman classic um you know films um soul divide's cool because it's a um it's a shooter but it's a shooter it's a horizontal shoot 'em up where it's uh it's not ships it's characters you're like these winged gods so like everything is just like now you're fighting the Hydra, now you're fighting a Medusa. So like all it all ties in perfectly to the this this aesthetic of these old movies that it also feels like. And I, the bosses they just look like floppy rubber puppets that you can like reach out and touch. <laughs> yeah. And and I'm and I'm super in love with it. Like it's 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 not a super great shooter, and I think there's a lot of negative feedback about it online it's definitely not one of psycho's best but from a visual standpoint it's just so refreshing and different and looks unlike anything you've ever seen Mm. before um when i was younger i didn't appreciate it i just thought it looked hokey and i thought it was like bad pre-rendering but now as an adult i'm relatively convinced it was on purpose yeah um there are a few sort of slightly more recent examples of that as well i'm thinking there's uh, a few of caves shooters have kind of adopted this kind of look for some of their bosses oh, um, okay like i'm thinking of uh, something like death smiles um, yeah death styles this is pretty deliberate eh yeah it's it, it's got several bosses in there that are very much uh, seemingly designed with the kind of rubber model or claymation kind of look there's there's things like things like the giant cow and like the the skull thing at the end of the early levels and even the last even the last boss tyranno satan which is still the best last boss name ever yeah. um, has got sort of sort of hokey monster models elements about it as well so yeah this this seems to be a thing in certain kinds of shoot 'em up i think i am googling tyranno satan <laughs> yeah i i don't think he's like the the true final boss or anything but he like he's he's the um He's sort of the the last boss that you you confront in a normal playthrough. But yeah, oh, okay. He's like, like sort of this this big goat headed thing with sort of skeletal arms and so on. Yeah, he's he's, he's great. I just like the name Tyrannosatan. Uh, so, sorry, demonic Im- imperator Tyrannosatan. <laughs> I love but it. Yes, like regular yeah, yeah. Satan wasn't cool enough. Yeah, exactly. So so yeah, certainly certainly Death Smiles has got an element of this going on in it as well. So. All right, so moving on in the timeline, then what are, what other things have you um, have you got in mind? Well, uh, I had also written down. Um, I don't want to harp too much on Nintendo, but like, there's also like an offshoot of what we're talking about is like the paper cutout aesthetic. Yes. Yeah. So one of the earliest games uh, on the PlayStation generation after Soul Divide that I can think of, specifically in regards to the paper aesthetic, was Parappa. Yes. Um, and what always struck me from Parappa was kind of this juxtaposition where 
obviously these characters inherit inhabited this 3d plane but they were just basically a single texture it was one mm-hmm. sheet of polygon and this this then and the art mapped to that single texture and they would flex and flap around like these paper cutouts and they would even like fold on each other and like wrap around stuff and uh i always just found it curious because with a normal three-dimensional game where they with like chunky polygonal models right like fully like a uh, rectangular prisms tacked on to yep. each other i never look at like a polygonal game like that especially in, like the ps1 generation and and thought i can reach out and touch that yeah like yep. i my, my brain acknowledged it as a 3d game and took the image in and whatever but by making these characters less 3d in a 3d world it tricked my brain into thinking that they physically existed yeah and it's kind of cool how, like, they did that. That, like, trickery was uh, really special to me on the original Parappa. Yeah, it's it's kind of strange, really, because I, I, I think about numerous examples where that happened, where sort of more, more limited technology was more, almost more convincing to me than more advanced realistic graphics. Like, back in going back to sort of first person shooters again sort of th- think this is this is not quite what we're talking about but going back to, to to early first person shooters i always found doom more immersive than quake for example oh yeah i, I didn't care for quake the original yeah. quake yeah just uh, there was just something about doom's environments that i found more i don't know if convincing is the right word but certainly it, it drew me in a lot more than than quake did i don't know if that was the fact that sort of doom was basically good quality 2d graphics in a lot of places whereas mm-hmm. quake was low quality 3d graphics right yeah so i i, I don't know but yeah, yeah I've, I've certainly certainly had precedent of sort of more more limited presentation actually ending up being more convincing for me for some reason mm-hmm. yeah well i mean um, it, it's it's all uh in the horror film community right the the yeah. the love of practical special effects is a very similar similar yeah. thing so like you know, uh, there's a lot of distaste for CG heavy mm-hmm. in in horror because the more you CG the heck out of a monster, it can be the most beautiful, convincing CG possible. Like the whole Uncanny Valley thing kicks in. Like you're still aware that that's CG inhabiting the real world. You can tell. You always yeah. can. Whereas if you slap the hokiest puppet in there, uh, the rubber mask, <laughs> like. There's just something so fundamental about the illusion that you can read, like that thing inhabits the physical space. Yeah. So we, so even though the puppet or the mask might be a little cheesier than what the terrifying CG thing you can cook up is, mm-hmm. the the your brain understands that that thing inhabits physical space. So yeah. it's not. So therefore, it is a bit more scary. Yeah. And yeah, and that that's always been really interesting to me, and it almost sounds like it's the same thing happening with these graphical presentations. Yeah, I I, th- I think there's there's just sort of certain there's evidently a sort of certain cutoff point between something that is enough to provide stimulation to your imagination and something that is kind of too far beyond that. Mm-hmm. If you see what I mean, so so like if something is is sort of too convincing then your imagination doesn't have to work very hard. Whereas if, if something is obviously not real in some way, then your imagination does have to fill in those blanks. And as we all know, the most terrifying things come from our own imaginations and so That's on. true. Um, well, it's like you were saying with Kirby, like part of what makes the effect so 
so convincing in, in Rainbow Paintbrush is the reduced frame rate of the character yes. sprite movements. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, sort of the, the the idea of sort of paper cutouts and things uh, sort of segues nicely into some other stuff that I want to want to talk about. That is, I, I I wouldn't kind of describe it as the sort of toy like aesthetic, but it, it it definitely has a kind of crafted feel to it. Mm -hmm. um, which are several several visual novels that I want to talk about. Oh, cool. Um, so uh, two of these are reasonably well known, um, and, and and the others are sort of indie things that that I've got a lot of time for, but. Uh, uh, some people may not have heard of. So, uh, the first one I want to talk about is is probably the the most well known one, which is uh, Steins Gate, which is part of Five PV's uh, Science Adventure series. Um, so, Steins Gate is for some people more well known as an anime than as a visual novel. But for my money, I think the visual novel is more interesting from an artistic perspective because the although the anime has got quite a distinctive art style in its own right, I I think the 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 techniques that they use in the visual novel are much more interesting interesting because um steinsgate uh doesn't use your sort of typical uh, sort of clean lines and bright colors of yeah, you kind of standard anime visual novel it's got a deliberately kind of uh lo-fi dirty grimy aesthetic about it oh interesting and not in a kind of grimdark sense or anything like that. It, it it it's just presented in such a way that kind of everything looks like um it's kind of hard to describe it kind of it looks like a drawing of an old photograph okay that makes sense so so sort of like the backgrounds have sort of got noise and dust and scratches and things on them and all the character designs like there's there's no sort of blocks of solid color on them like it's all sort of like colors that are kind of blended together but they're kind of blended together in a kind of vaguely careless way it looks like they're sort of been colored in and sort of had maybe had a bit of paint over them and that sort of mm. thing um the eyes of characters in Steins Gate are really kind of interesting because they they they're almost hypnotic in a way. So they've got this kind of sort of far off look in all the all the eyes in Steins Gate. There's this kind of swirly pattern inside them, and it's just the whole art style of that game is really compelling, and it it, it looks like it's kind of been physically made, so out of sort of cutouts and old photographs and that kind of thing and it's a really appealing part of that game's aesthetic i think and it's one of many reasons that it is regarded so fondly i think is just because its presentation is so distinctive sure and, it, and if you compare the way that the visual novel looks with the way the anime looks the anime kind of goes in a completely different direction so the anime's art is very kind of uh, almost flat shaded so there's, there is not a lot of kind of highlights and shadows in the anime version, which again creates its own very distinctive art style, but it's quite different from what the visual novel is doing. And for, hmm. for my money, I think I think the visual novel is a more effective approach, or I certainly, I certainly like it more than what the anime does, but um, the anime certainly has a lot of fans as well. So um, that's probably the most well-known one I want to talk about. Um, on a vaguely related note is the current cover game on moegamer.net which is our world is ended uh, which is um a game that first came out on vita in 2017 by red entertainment oh i and, do love red yeah and subsequently got uh, a a uh, sort of expanded port to switch and playstation 4 and this expanded port is the version that pcube brought over to the west and so there's uh, quite a interesting lineup of people behind this game so um we've got naoki morita who is the uh director of the game but it, but he's sort of written a lot of the sakura wars games yes um 
we've got uh, an artist called Airy Shirai, uh, who is most well known for the character designs in the manga and light novel series, which recently got adapted to an anime called Grimgar Fantasy and Ash. Oh yeah, a lot uh, so, of people like Grimgar a lot. Yeah, so he's got a really distinctive uh, kind of uh, sort of airy, almost watercolor style to his character design. So um, th- th- there's not a lot of very dark black outlines in his work. It's all very kind of light and airy. And his work for Our World Is Ended is kind of a little bit more on the colorful side than his, his most iconic style, but it's still very much recognizable. And I think the interesting thing about... Um, our world has ended's art style is that again it's it's sort of it's sort of taking recognizable things and then just putting a slight little twist on them in various ways so for example all the character designs if you look around the edges of them they all look like they've got like little flecks of paint splattered on them and that sort of thing okay Uh, and like it's a a really subtle effect but like it's it's noticeable and it makes it distinctive and it means that these characters just aren't completely clean and pure and so on there's like sort of sparkles and paint flecks and that sort of thing and at the same time if you look at the backgrounds um the backgrounds are all sort of fairly convincing but there's something slightly off about them um and it's a combination of things it's a combination of um, the colours of the background being slightly more washed out than they would be normally. And there's also a very, very slight um, chromatic aberration effect on there as well. Sort of a, a, a very key part of the whole game's aesthetic is chromatic aberration, which is, uh, for those unfamiliar, is sort of where you take an image and where you kind of slightly displace the different color channels in different directions so like you might have the red of the image is just slightly to the left of where the greens and the blues are very slightly so um in our world is ended it's 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 most obvious when you look at interface elements so like if you look at the sort of flashing cursor that appears at the end of lines in the visual novel you can actually see it there you can actually see that the the sort of red part of the cursor is on one side and the blue part of the cursor is on the other side but it's done in a much more subtle way in the backgrounds and it just makes the backgrounds look slightly out of focus and slightly dreamy and slightly soft um and it gives it a very distinctive look and feel to it it's it's not it's not a a very heavy-handed effect by any means not as heavy-handed as uh chromatic aberration when it is put into 3d games um and often ends up giving people a headache in the process because uh, yeah, I, I, I know you've mentioned that chromatic aberration is something that that, that, that actually makes you feel quite uncomfortable. But it, it makes me like ill, like it makes yeah. my stomach lurch. Like yes. n- not not a judgment call. Like I'm not being dramatic. Like literally, like if it's really profound and I look at it for too long, it like gives me an uneasy feeling in the pit of my stomach. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, so like I say, in in our world is ended. It's, it's used quite sparingly uh but it is there it is there and like and like once you recognize it being there you, you you can't help but notice it really and and it's a very distinctive part of that game style and so that that gives the whole game this kind of look of on the one hand it's got a kind of physical feel to it because of like the paint splatters on the characters and so on as well but at the same time it's got this kind of distinctly digital thing going on with it as sure. well, with, with the chromatic aberration and uh in certain in certain places there's like sort of slight scan line effects and so on so yeah there's a really interesting mix of art styles in there that that is sort of very very attractive i like it very much 
Um, so that's that's one I definitely wanted to bring up. And as I say, that is currently the cover game feature on Moe Gamer. So, so take a look at that if you want to know a bit more about that. Um, the last ones I wanted to mention are these indie titles. Um, so there's, there's two of these. Uh, it's called Lily's Day Off and Lily's Night Off. And they are by a uh, sort of a... I think he's a solo developer called uh, Cupin. Uh, he's, he's on Twitter as uh, <laughs> Lollicunion. Um, and uh, yeah, basically these are short form visual novels, like extremely short form, as in they're like 10 minutes. Um, but the the whole point of them is that you, you play them through multiple times and you see all the endings. And in the process of playing this 10 minute experience through like, 15 20 times or so you then get an understanding of the of the complete context of it so uh, so they're interesting games from that perspective but the the sort of most attractive thing for me is the way that they've been presented and so he kind of established it in lily's day off which was the first one and then he really ran with it in lily's night off which was the the sequel which he had a lot more time to work on he had a bit more money and a bit more resources and a bit more experience and so the the character design in this again there's a kind of sort of hand-drawn feel to it so all of the characters look like cardboard cutouts that have been kind of sketched with uh sort of felt tip pens and that sort of thing in the second one there's a lot of sequences where there's backgrounds that look like they've sort of rather than solid colors being filled in it looks like they've sort of been scribbled in with felt tip pens and people haven't quite reached the lines in a few places and that sort of mm. thing um that the way they kind of move is almost as if they're sort of like cardboard puppets that are on rods that sort of thing so like they'll sort of tilt around and they'll they'll move in certain ways and yeah it just gives the whole thing a very distinctive feel and again it it doesn't make it less convincing in many ways it sort of really draws you into these characters even more just because they are so heavily stylized that you can't help but sort of almost be sort of drawn into it and get your imagination working and you imagine how these would be if they were real people and so on so and yeah i I found those immediately very striking when i first played them and they're they're ones that i like to i like to recommend people try out because they're they're not terribly well known but the the guy who made them is really really uh, really nice and enthusiastic passionate guy um he developed these not being a particular visual novel fan in the first place he specifically developed them as an attempt to be uh visual novels that were that kind of didn't follow the usual mold of visual novels he specifically wanted to make a condensed experience so um even if you're not typically into your your average sort of long form visual novel these might be worth a look because they've got a good sense of humor they've got lovely art they've got great music um so yeah do do check them out Yeah, that, that aesthetic sounds a lot like another game I wanted to mention too, which is Treasures Rakugaki Showtime. Yes, yes. Um, which was a, a brawler for the for the PS1 that never really came west, but it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for an opportunity to mention at least one weirdo treasure game. <laughs> um, it's basically was like, it's like Power Stone, right? Like an arena brawler where like everyone can kind of run around on a 3D plane and, and there's objects you can pick up and interact with. But the <laughs> whole, but the whole game has this, the kind of aesthetic you were just discussing with the Lily series where the characters are all just drawings on paper cutouts with crayon colored in poorly where the lines have been missed. <laughs> and, and they're on rods. Like and the rod and the rods are in like the rods are animated, like 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 it's just all part of the experience. Um, and that's and that game is so wholly committed to that 
aesthetic that even the cover of the game, like if you look up the cover art, the cover of the game has a faux, like a spiral bound notebook. It has the spiral binding on the spine of the, <laughs> of the, the case. Um, so that's, that's a really, really cool one that, that really nails this. And like, you know, to the point where like, it also does like the, like the whole squiggle vision thing, right? Where like when the yeah. characters move, even the coloring in, like sometimes the direction of the crayon changes and like, it's like shifting and scribbly like all the time. <laughs> awesome. And it's really, really a cool game. Yeah, I'd never heard of that until you brought it up recently. So, oh, but, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah. you are you are a fountain of knowledge on obscure treasure games, as always. I love treasure. <laughs> love treasure. And there's multiple, like, because I had also put Mischief, the original Mischief Makers on the N64 was oh, yes. one of, is an example of a game where it wasn't deliberate, but just because of the pre-rendered sprites, everything has that, like, toy-like sheen to it. Yes, yes, very much, very much. That's got the same kind of, for me, that's got the same kind of chunky feel as Mario does to it, so it's got yes. a satisfying kind of physical presence to it Mm -hmm. yeah and it's just all because of the pre-rendered and Mm. not it's not on purpose but it's just it's just what it looks like to me yeah um and you can be marina from mischief makers in rakugaki showtime oh sweet yeah which was great um moving on to later generations um for the ps2 i had i had written out tales of legendia which all right yep Tales of Legendia is a kind of the black sheep of the Tales family because it mm-hmm. was one of the ones that's not developed by the Tales studio. It was developed by a different team altogether. Okay. And uh, it, it shows because it yeah. doesn't look, feel, or sound like any other Tales game, <laughs> um, which is probably why everyone hates it and why I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but it was... You know, like when all the other Tales games were try, were like, you know, like the Tales games, they always put like the stupid acronyms, like, oh, this is the new ATQLBTS battle system, like, <laughs> like they always do that, like ridiculous shit, and like they get more and more three D, but like Tales of Legendia was like, nah, dog, we're gonna make two D battle system just like the old Tales of Destiny, <laughs> and uh, and they did that, and and it was great, um, but I don't to this day know whether it was on purpose or not but the visual presentation of tales of legendia has a really unique style kind of defined by very soft focus and these light pastel colors and it really gives you the feeling that these are figures or like dolls in like a diorama yeah um uh, it's difficult to explain without really looking at an image of like exploring a town in this game but like never in an rpg have i felt like taken out of the experience and felt like i was playing with miniatures in a dollhouse before Mm -hmm. and that and that's really what tales of legendia feels like and there's a there's like a soft like vaseline sheen to the character models in in the battle sequences that make them feel like they're these soft vinyl toys yeah. Um. And to this day, like I said, I I don't know if this is intentional or not. But like my fond memories of Tales of Legendia are always of this kind of soft toy-like aesthetic that it has, mm-hmm. and I think it deserves a, a fairer shake than it got. Yeah, definitely. Um. Also, one more recently was a Puppeteer on the PS3. Oh yes, yes. Um. And Puppeteer, I think, is a really um successful version of what we're talking about 
because obviously it was intentional. Uh, the whole game was designed to be a, a puppet stage show that's taking place. I mean, the audience cheers, there's curtains and everything. Um, great textures with you know, uh, cloth and stitching and, and, and wood everywhere. And it's all apparent. The puppets are animated in such a way that like gravity is affecting them and their marionette strings are visible. And, um, what was cool about the game was there was kind of this metatextual element because your primary means of playing the game and interacting with it is your weapon, which is a giant pair of scissors. Yeah. And so it wasn't just about, this unique visual presentation, which was really cool and well executed, but they did the thing that we love most that we've talked about in multiple episodes is not only have they taken a unique visual style and a presentation identity, they've married the mechanics to that identity. Yeah. So it's not just those visuals aren't just there because they're those visuals. Those visuals are there because your primary weapon is a scissors. So mm -hmm. if you're on a sailing ship and a, there's a, 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 a sail made of cloth, you can use your scissors to snip, 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 and use that as a mechanic to climb the cloth by snipping up it and using mm -hmm. the friction and the physicality of the cloth. Or like uh, you may fight a boss and notice that he has stitching on his arm where his arm meets his shoulder and you yeah. use your scissors and you chase that stitching cut it off and boom you cut his arm off <laughs> so like not only is the game presented as this crafted stage play but you're literally interacting with undoing and building upon that with the way the game plays it's it's just one cohesive package dedicated to this crafted aesthetic mm, that's really cool yeah it's a neat game yeah on the on the PS3 night, we should probably mention Little Big Planet as well. Oh yeah, yeah, it's um, a king of which this, is, which is yeah, definitely a great example over there. So I know, I, I know it's kind of fashionable to bash on like its its platforming mechanics and so on, and its platforming mechanics aren't aren't great. Like its its floaty jumps and things are a bit fiddly to handle. But for me, again, the the actual floaty jump side of things didn't bother me too much because it kind of felt like how I would expect that character to handle. If you see what I mean? So, like, I yeah. mean, he's a, he, yeah, he's, he's like a little plush toy. He's stuffed with stuff. And he, he, he kind of jumped in the way that I would expect a character like that to jump. <laughs> Which doesn't yeah. necessarily make for amazing gameplay, but it certainly made for a convincing, again, a convincing sense of physicality to that game. And sort of the way that game was presented, and even the fact that, it, it again, it ran at a slightly lower frame rate i think it might have even been below 30 frames a second in a lot of places but in the case of that game i feel like that lower frame rate actually added to the look of it it made it look like mm -hmm. um sort of like a craft project sort of zooming in and looking at all these toys and these things made of cardboard and so on and the physics model and so on it, it, it kind of had a, a good feeling about it i haven't played the more recent ones i've only ever played the first one but no no yeah I mean, I, I, I always quite like the the feel of that game and not enough to get super into it or anything like that, but the the sort of physicality of that game always appealed to me uh, quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, it was it was neat. I didn't enjoy playing it, which is why I, I don't, you know... I always say, like, uh, Little Big Planet is a bit like an Instagram model. Really enjoy looking at it, but I don't actually want to have anything to do with it. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it's tough. It's, it's such a difficult thing because like I want to love Little Big Planet, but I don't. 
It's the, it's the same with that other game Sony put out because like with the success of Little Big Planet, like Sony was just like we're gonna really commit to this crafted stage building thing. So then they made Mod Nation Racers. Oh yeah, yeah. And and Mod Nation Racers had the aesthetic of specifically that like a uh, punk like street vinyl figures. Yeah, which is a huge you know huge thing is customizing buying these. Sofubi vinyl figures and, and customizing them with like paint schemes or graphics and accessories. And they, they really took that aesthetic and ran with it too. So that game had a very similar appeal, but um, I think Sony largely dropped that because I don't think Mod Nation Racers is a very successful game. No, no, that kind of kind of disappeared off the face of the planet. I know they had a few goes at it because they, I think they did it on PS3 and Vita as well, yeah. didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's it's one that you never really hear anything about. I, I've certainly never tried it for myself, so I don't know if it's any good or not. But uh, it's yeah, just so. like you just play Mario Kart. Like the problem yeah. with most kart racer games is just like why it's mm. not it's it's just not as good. Oh, I can't say that because the Sonic ones are so good, and I can't wait yes. for the new. They can't wait for the new <laughs> Sonic one. But yeah, it just it wasn't it wasn't good enough to distract me from time that could have been spent playing Mario Kart, and I just yeah. didn't love the stage the track builder that much. Yeah. Because there had been other games with track builders that I'd rather play, right? So mm-hmm. like if I'm going to play a game with a track builder, I'm going to play Track Mania. Yeah. So it just didn't, it didn't, f- and even though we're, we're talking about it because of its aesthetic, I didn't like its aesthetic. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't find the characters attractive. I didn't find the overall feel and style of the way the characters are, were designed to be nice. So, yeah. you know, I'm a visual guy. So like it's a very, very easy way to get me to not like your game is for me not like <laughs> not like the visual presentation. Yeah, definitely. Well, first impressions count, as they say. Yeah, that's important. Yeah, definitely. So that's okay. everything I had that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, that's pretty much everything I wanted to bring up as well. And yeah, we've we've covered a, a good mix of stuff there across a, a variety of uh, hardware generations and a variety of genres as well. So yeah, it's. Uh, it's an interesting topic i think and like there's lots of different ways you can do a distinctive art style um which we'll almost certainly return to in a future episode but uh yeah particularly when it comes to the sort of crafted in the toy-like field and these are some great examples for for you to check out if you're interested in that kind of thing yeah and i think the thing that's most important when you contextualize you know like i i have you know we've mentioned before but like we always got a list building of potential topics mm-hmm. and 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 since we came up with this idea like i put other stuff on there like i want to do an episode where we talk about cell shading yes definitely. and and you know the more i think about conversation topics and and points to make as we talk about specifically the idea of episodes dedicated to certain visual styles is also to really impress the different feel and the benefits of these different styles. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, yes. we've, we've, we've talked with how, about how this physicality and how this sense of interactivity can, can affect the mechanics of the game and the way we interact with it. And that's what I think is most important when we talk about something like cell shading or maybe we talk about games with a lush 2D feel. Like, every single one of these visual styles is going to also contextualize and affect the game in a different way. And, and that's mm-hmm. one of the things that I think is so wonderful about the medium is we're always we're always not just talking about visual presentation, but the way these visual presentations are intrinsically tied to the game and the way it plays. Yeah, definitely. Yes. So, well, lots more topics to return to in the future. So listen out for those at some point. Right. Let's wrap up as usual. So would you like to tell people where to find you online? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Mr. Gilderpixels.com and at 
Tumblr, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Gilder Pixels. I'm really ramping up production on some cool paintings. So uh, please pop in, say hi, give me a like or two. I really appreciate it. Good stuff. And as always, you'll find me on MarioGamer.net, writing articles most days, uh, putting out videos on YouTube as well, most days as well. So watch out for those, including the Atari A to Z series of retro games on Atari 8-bit, Atari ST, and Atari 2600 and arcade titles as well. So uh, do feel free to watch out for those. If you're listening to this on SoundCloud, don't forget that there is a uh, video version that you can watch on YouTube. And when we're talking about visuals, it's uh, a good idea to watch a video version because we can actually show you what we're talking about as well as just talking about it uh likewise if you're on youtube and you want to listen to this on the go and you can't watch there is also a soundcloud version if you go to soundcloud.com forward slash moe gamer you can subscribe over there in various ways so just remains for us to say thanks very much for watching and or listening and we'll see you again next time Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember you can watch a video version of it over on YouTube. Be sure to check out moegamer.net for new articles on Japanese and Japanese-inspired video games, new and old, every weekday. Every month, Moegamer features an in-depth exploration of an individual game or series as its cover game, so be sure to check the archives to see if your favourite has had a deep dive yet. If you'd like to support the site directly, please consider becoming a patron or buying me a coffee. You can find links to do both over on moegamer.net. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.